Before I start this week's episode of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, just the usual note of thanks to Sora Shimazaki at Pexels, who took the photograph, which adorns the cover art. Let's crack on. Welcome to episode 71 of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. I'm Chris Kirkbride. The summer slowdown has continued with a general drop-off in news, but there is enough just to keep us interested. As ever, I've linked the stories which I flag throughout the podcast in the description. Let's start with sanctions. This week's sanctions news comes principally from the UK, but there are some bits from other places. For starters, the Office of Financial Sanctions Implementation has added 25 individuals and entities to the consolidated list. Of the 25, 19 concern Russia and 6 Belarus. The sanctions relate to the supply of foreign military equipment to Russia to support its invasion of Ukraine. Links to both notices the press release included, including updated lists, can be found in the podcast description. Now, staying with the UK, but really, this is coordinated action. The sanctioning of a former... Governor of Lebanon's central bank has been announced. Riyad Salame has been sanctioned by the UK, US and Canada, broadly for reasons related to alleged corrupt actions to enrich himself and a number of individuals associated with him. As the US Department of the Treasury announcement provides, Salome's corrupt and unlawful actions have contributed to the breakdown of the rule of law in Lebanon. Salome abused his position of power, likely in violation of Lebanese law, to enrich himself and his associates by funneling hundreds of millions of dollars through layered shell companies to invest in European real estate. Salome is sanctioned alongside four associates. Links to the press release by the US Treasury, as well as the UK notice from OFSI and consolidated anti-corruption lists are in the podcast description. The other bits of news out of the UK this week relates to an announcement by the European, sorry, sorry, the Export Control Joint Unit, the ECJU, which has published a general license for the provision of certain legal advisory services in relation to compliance with certain laws or measures, including the restrictive measures connected to Russia. Link to the general licenses in the podcast description. The US, in addition to the coordinated action with Canada and the UK, has this week extended sanctions on the Belarusian regime on the third anniversary of what it describes as the falsified 2020 election in Belarus, which maintained Lukashenko in office. The link to that is in the podcast description. OFAC has also added more names to the Russia sanctions. Here we go. The individuals are Peter Olegovich Avon, Mikhail Maratovich Friedman, German Borisovich Khan and Alexei Viktorovich Kuzmikhev. They've already, those individuals, been the subject of sanctions by Australia, Canada, the European Union, New Zealand and the United Kingdom. USA is a bit late to the game on that one. But anyway, the link to the press release is in the podcast description. Final bit of news from the US is the announcement that following a court finding in her favour, sanctions have been lifted against Elena Titova, the banker. This follows a similar recent lifting of sanctions in the UK against Oleg Tinkov. That happened in July this year, and which we reported in episode 68 
of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. Final bit of sanctions news this week comes from Ukraine, which has announced the creation of a list of artworks owned by Russian nationals under Western sanctions. Around 300 works have been added to a searchable database compiled, compiled by the National Agency on Corruption Prevention. There is a limited amount of fraud news this week. We'll start in the US where another COVID-19 fraudster has pleaded guilty to fraud concerning two Paycheck Protection Program loans, two Economic Injury Disaster Loans and an Economic Injury Disaster Loans Advance. Link to the US Department of Justice press release is in the podcast description. To the UK now where the Financial Conduct Authority has announced that it's hosting a one-day in-person event with the City of London Corporation in order to platform the launch of its authorised push payment fraud synthetic database. The event will take place on Wednesday the 27th of September this year and the deadline for registration which is at the link in the podcast description is the 12th of September 2023. Now to money laundering news. And there's a fair bit of this. Decent wedge of it. We'll start with news from the UK and the US on beneficial ownership registers. First, the Department for Business and Trade in the UK has updated its technical guidance for registration and verification. The updated regulations take account of recent statutory instruments in this area and account for areas such as identifying foreign limited partners as beneficial owners, removing inaccurate information from the register, the registration of otherwise prohibited land transactions, the imposition of financial penalties, protecting information relating to an individual, and disclosing protected information to public authorities. Link to the updated information is in the podcast description. In the US, in a speech by Undersecretary Brian Nelson on the subject of illicit finance, an update was provided on US implementation of beneficial ownership, especially in the possible impact on businesses in the US and liaison between FinCEN and industry over the implementation strategy for any program. The link to that speech is in the podcast description. In the UK, the trade body UK Finance has updated its funds transfer regulation how-to interpretive guidance. The guidance, which is voluntary, helps to give firms a better understanding of how they might interpret the requirements of the regulation, that is the funds transfer regulation, and the European Supervisory Authority's guidance, as well as the kinds of policies and procedures they could have in place to meet those requirements. Links to some of the background information from UK Finance, as well as the updated guidance itself, can be found in the podcast description. The final piece of money laundering news this week comes firmly from the European Union, and specifically the European Banking Authority, which has published its third report on the functioning of anti-money laundering and countering terrorist financing colleges under the fourth anti-money laundering directive. The AML and CFT colleges are, quote, permanent structures that bring together different supervisory authorities responsible for the AML and CFT supervision of a cross-border financial institution which operates in at least three member states. The aim is to ensure that supervisors exchange information in a timely manner and that they cooperate to achieve better and more targeted supervisory outcomes in the fight against financial crime. The EBA report found that quote, competitive authorities, sorry, competent authorities had taken important steps to make AML and CFT colleges useful and effective. 
a structured approach to organising colleges' meetings had contributed to the exchange of more substantive, actionable information than was the case previously, and prudential supervisors and financial intelligence units had actively participated in most AML and CFT colleges to which they had been invited. In several colleges, the quality of discussions was greatly enhanced, and the lead supervisor was leading these discussions much more effectively. A number of colleges had taken coordinated actions to address areas of common concern with good outcomes. That being said, points remained to be addressed. First, more than 50 AML and CFT colleges were still not operating and members' ability to share information was compromised by a failure to have requisite operation or cooperation agreements. Secondly, the number of third country observers remained very low, which could limit what supervisors know about group-wide risks. Thirdly, there was limited awareness among some competent authority staff of the benefits of sharing information in the college's setting, and some competent authorities were unable to explain how they used information from AML and CFT colleges in their own work. Fourthly, several lead supervisors had not adjusted the nature and frequency of meetings based on the ML TF risks to which the financial institution had been exposed, which meant that some high-risk colleges met infrequently, while colleges set up in relation to lower-risk institutions met at least biannually. The final money laundering news this week comes from Dublin in the Republic of Ireland, which is believed to be pressing for the European Union's Anti-Money Laundering Authority to be based in the city. This brings to 10 the number of countries which have indicated they would be interested in having the authority in their country. Those countries are Germany, as we've reported before on the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, France, Italy, Spain, Latvia, Lithuania, Austria, Luxembourg, Belgium and now Ireland. The formal process hasn't yet started, but the informal Jockeying is interesting for those who like that kind of thing. Now, just a little bit on bribery and anti-corruption before we sum up the cyber attack news this week. There are two main pieces of bribery and anti-corruption news this week, and we start with a story which we first identified in episode 61 of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. This is the problem surrounding the Entain Group, which owns bookmakers Ladbrokes and Coral. Now, that's issued an update on the allegations of bribery relating to its legacy Turkish-facing online betting and gaming business. As we've reported, it's been cooperating with the ongoing investigation conducted by the Crown Prosecution Service in the UK and His Majesty's Revenue and Customs. Now, these allegations are allegations of bribery, as I've indicated, and they relate to a failure to prevent bribery offence under Section 7 of the Bribery Act 2010. Well, the update from the group, the Entain group this week, is that they've set aside £585 million in respect of its ongoing deferred prosecution agreement negotiations with the Crown Prosecution Service. So we expect the sum to be in that region. Negotiations do nevertheless continue, so we can expect a bit more on this in coming weeks before a conclusion is reached. Link to the Entain group's press release is in the podcast description where they lay out everything in full. In news of another deferred prosecution agreement, only this time in the US, where the Colombian conglomerate Grupo Aval and its bank subsidiary Colombiana 
which I'm sure I just mangled, will pay $40 million in settlement of bribery allegations relating to winning of government contracts, contrary to various provisions of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act 1977. Link to the press release from the Securities and Exchange Commission is in the podcast description. The final story is a link to something which we've flagged previously on the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, and it's a push to create a global anti-corruption court. We've previously reported on efforts in the UK to get the government to support the establishment of such a court, which would operate along similar lines as the International War Crimes uh, Tribunal. Well, now an opinion piece in the Washington Post, based around comments by a federal judge in the US, have been picked up and they're now advancing this theme. Now, oddly, for the Washington Post, the article isn't behind a paywall, so it might be worth a look. I've linked it in the podcast description. Now we end this week's episode of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast with a quick look around the cyber attack news this week. Not much of it, but quite interesting takes on it for this week. We'll start with news of cyber attacks on hospitals in the US and Israel. In the US, Prospect Medical reported disruption to its computer systems which affected treatment at facilities in Connecticut, Rhode Island and Texas. The attack in Israel was on the Mayane Hayeshwa Medical Center in Bnei Brak. No claims of responsibility, but certainly in respect of Israel, several state-sponsored agencies have targeted the country over recent weeks and months, principally South Sudan and Iran, so I expect the usual suspects to be on the list for that one. The main cyber attack news this week comes from the UK with an announcement that the Electoral Commission has been the victim of a cyber attack. The Electoral Commission monitors elections in the United Kingdom. The incident was identified in October 2022 after suspicious activity was detected on our systems. This is the press release that was released this week. It became clear that hostile actors had first accessed the systems in August 2021. During the cyber attack, the perpetrators had access to the Commission's servers, which held our email, our control systems and copies of electoral registers. Full notice on the attack can be accessed on the Electoral Commission website, which is linked in the podcast description. There was a bit of news later this week about a possible suspect for it, and it's been linked to Russia, but nothing clarified on that point, but more probably will come from it. Now, this attack on the Electoral Commission links quite neatly to a piece of news which I didn't highlight at the time, but I think it's probably now worth highlighting. Towards the end of July, the Department for Science, Innovation and Technology, which is a government department in the UK, published a report on cyber security skills in the UK labour market, highlighting a major issue in cyber security. Broadly, the UK has a skills deficit in this area, that is, cybersecurity. There is, in general, a lack of people available to work in the sector with the appropriate skill set. Of the 160,035 cybersecurity posts advertised by employers in the last year, 37% of those vacancies were difficult to fill, with the estimate that the UK's cybersecurity skills shortfall stands at around 11,200 vacancies. 
Anyone fancy retraining? I link the report because it's worth reading in the podcast description. Well, that's it for this week's quite short episode of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. If you want to do so, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you'll hear from me again, all being well next Sunday with the usual roundup of all things financial crime. Have a great week, everyone.